Twitter. I'm Isaac Fitzgerald. Saeed Jones is back. And you're watching AM to DM. Did you miss me, Timeline? Because <laughs> I really disappeared from the timeline. You saw me tweeting. Hey, I missed you. Okay, no, you didn't. I missed you, Sai. Oh, I missed It's like I didn't hear from you. You never wrote, you never called, you never texted. <laughs> this vacation, I was on the phone with Isaac, I think almost every day. Oh, every, I every to... day, Sai. <laughs> oh, don't act like you weren't getting your life. <laughs> A little Massachusetts leprechaun. You were living for it. You were living for oh, it. Oh, I was living for it. I was living for my coworker who's supposed to be on vacation calling me every day. Oh, I'm now I'm just your coworker. Oh. You see, like sometimes I'm his best friend, sometimes I'm just his coworker. No, you know, sometimes you got tea, you want to gossip, but you're texting with a friend who isn't very good at texting. That's true, I'm not. Okay, and it's just too much, and you're like, and you're just like, girl, get on the phone. We got to dish. That was me. This entire vacation. There was just a lot of tea. And we did dish, and it was we did. lovely. It was <laughs> Some great things that we can talk about publicly, because we can't talk about all the For tea. example, Isaac uh, just signed a book deal, his forthcoming essay collection, Dirtbag Massachusetts. I'm really excited. Oh, yes, I love when we get the applause. We love the applause. And Saeed turned in the manuscript for his memoir. Let's keep those applause going. Very nice, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It was very exciting. I didn't plan it, but I happened to have a vacation uh -huh. that I used to celebrate it by sleeping in <laughs> uh, and being really lazy mm. and antisocial. I went to Hudson for a bit, upstate New York. Oh, very nice. Yeah, nice. I love taking the train out of Grand Central Station mm -hmm. um, up to Hudson. It's like just two hours, and you're up the Hudson River. It's so the beautiful. The are gorgeous. Mm -hmm. The hills come and meet the water. It's very pretty. I'm feeling really relaxed just right now. All right, well, let's I ruin that. Oh, great. Let's ruin that. Because <laughs> my vacation is over, and as if we need proof, Here's a tweet from the President of the United States. Uh, Wacky Omarosa, who got fired three times on The Apprentice, now got fired for the last time? What does that even mean? Uh, she never made it, never will. Uh, she begged me for a job, tears in her eyes. I said, okay. People in the White House hated her. She was vicious, but not smart. I would rarely see her, but heard, oh yes, there's another tweet. Really <laughs> bad things, uh, nasty to people, and would constantly miss meetings and work. When General Kelly came on board, he told me she was a loser and nothing but problems. I told him to try working it out if possible, but she said only, she only said great things about me until she got fired. Until she got fired. That was a lot of reading. You need, uh, you want to you wait your whistle <laughs> a little bit? A little you water, all right, thank all right, you. Absolutely. Ooh, that's uh, a lot. It was, it's a lot. He's packing things in there. It's fired three times from The Apprentice. I'm pretty sure that was kind of the point of the show. Yeah. Uh, fired for the last time, not really sure what he means there. And y'all, we've seen all of his old tweets about Omarosa. He's always had nothing but great things to say about her, so like. What a loyal friend. I've seen that one going around a lot. Listen, we've got questions, so we're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News White House <sighs> correspondent, Tarini Parker. Tarini, good morning. How you doing, buddy? Good morning. Welcome back from vacation. Thank you. <laughs> oh. Is it good? Uh, listen, Tarini, what kind of morning do you think the president is having? He's not having the best morning, clearly. I mean, this is exactly why Omarosa made those tapes, because she knows that the only way to go up against Donald Trump is when you have proof, including his own voice, saying exactly how it happened because she knows him. She knows he's going to dispute the whatever happened later on. Okay. And I did want to ask you about this, Tarini. So thank you for being like, you know, like he is having a bad morning. I was wondering if this was actually going to impact uh, Trump in any way. You know, if this was just kind of news entertainment mm. uh, and drama, but if it was actually going to have an impact. But you're saying uh, it is actually creating problems. 
The one thing that the president does not like is when someone who he thought was loyal to him goes out and says something against him. I mean, we obviously know he doesn't like criticism of any sort, but especially when it comes from someone who he was close to, who he thought was loyal to him, that's something that really just does not uh, go well with the president. Does not go well with the president. Well, here's a tweet from Maggie Haberman. When Katie Rogers and I wrote that someone was secretly taping Trump, it was not Omarosa. Raises possibility that still others are doing same within the White House. So, Tarini, Omarosa is making the rounds this morning, but let's get some HR questions out of the way. <laughs> like, I'm just, how did she pull this off in That's the first true. place? That's true. Yeah, so apparently we might have tapes on tapes on tapes, but um, with Omarosa more specifically, she kind of did whatever she wanted at the White House. It's very unclear what she actually did in terms of her job, in terms of her work, and the president and his tweets might be right about that. Uh, but, you know, she no one really told her what to do. So she just kind of did whatever she wanted and thought she could go around recording whoever she wanted, whenever she wanted. And clearly she could, because she did. I mean, I, 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 I <laughs> this is bizarre to me for a lot of reasons. Um, I've, I've just watched Scandal. Um, you know, it just always assumed, like, there would be procedures and infrastructures in place to pre prevent this, certainly in the situation room. Like, are you even supposed to have a phone in the, the situation room? So what we've learned is that there's a sign that you're, you know, you're supposed to drop your cell phones and electronic devices before going in. But it seems like it's kind of an on your honor sort of situation. It's not, uh, you know, no one's patting you down, checking for cell phones or, or electronic devices. It's just been assumed over the years that if you are going into the situation room, you're clearly aware of the national security implications and that you're not going to bring in recording devices. Hmm. Yeah, one would think, <laughs> which leads me to my question, is any of this actually illegal or is this just bad faith? So a lot of the president's advisors and allies have gone on TV in the last few days and suggested that there are legal implications, uh, that the White House is considering legal action. But from, from national security experts and lawyers who deal with this kind of stuff, what we've learned is that there really isn't, uh, this isn't illegal because uh, Omarosa didn't have a, a security clearance that we know of. Uh, and, uh, you know, as um, dangerous as it could be potentially in terms of the national security implications, Legally, there isn't really much to challenge her on. Okay, well, wow. I, I guess aside from the fact that, like, you know, a, a paranoid president now with a paranoid administration and, like, that tweet from Maggie Haberman implies someone else might be recording as well, who perhaps should be most nervous this morning? Like, who is it? Is it, is it uh, John Kelly? So I think anyone who has said anything potentially wrong uh, to Amarosa or told her to do her job when she was out there, you know, taking her uh, wedding pictures at the White House, supposedly, uh, you know, anyone who crossed her in any way is going to be pretty paranoid because, you know, there's no no one has any idea of how much she was recording. She could have she was uh, very close to the president. So she was in a lot of senior staff meetings. She was around the White House a lot. And so in theory, could have recorded any anyone and everyone, and a lot of those people who crossed her could see some of those tapes coming out against them. I feel like Including I'm, John Kelly. I'm just picturing a whole staff, and they've all just like, it's a gun standoff, but they've actually just got recording <laughs> devices pointed at I each mean. other. It's wild to me. But speaking of General John Kelly, Torini, how is he in Sessions' war on leaks going? Because it doesn't seem great. 
this is clearly a, a big hiccup, right? In the in the war on leaks. Uh, I mean, it's not you know what they've talked about in the in the past few months has been uh, you know uh, people at the White House or in the administration talking to reporters, uh, reporters using anonymous sources, things like that. This is someone who worked at the White House just putting out tapes. I mean, this is, I think, something that even they had not considered happening. Uh, so this clearly uh, takes the war on leaks to a whole different level and just shows that, you know, no matter how much they try to to tamp down uh, this the leaks, it's just not seeming uh, to stop by any means. Yeah, in a way, it's worse than, you know, talking to reporters, right? Because at least in that exactly. case, there's going to be context and vetting and all that. Leaks on, leaks on, leaks. <laughs> tapes on, tapes on, tapes. Oh, my goodness, he's a rapper now. All right, <laughs> here's a tweet uh, from Politico's Blake Hounshall. Uh, Stephen Miller's uncle has some thoughts about his nephew's immigration policies. Tarini, 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 it be your own white people. I'm always telling Isaac. Uh, what do we make of this op-ed? We, we read it this morning, and it's like a Facebook post run amok. Yeah, I, I thought it was fascinating just because we've seen so many, we've now read so many profiles about Stephen Miller and, you know, how he grew up in, you know, liberal California and became this conservative uh, anti-immigration figure. But this sort of personal history about his family was very interesting to read and added as another dimension uh, to his personality or, you know, ideology that we weren't quite aware of in as much detail. Um, but obviously, I mean, even though it's his uncle publicly calling him out, he is, he's made it pretty clear what his beliefs are and what his policy vision is when it comes to immigration. So it's, I doubt this will have any impact on uh, him rather than, you know, other than maybe an awkward family gathering or Thanksgiving or something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. He's out there like he's out there. He tells the world how he feels. So it's not like we're learning anything new from it. I do got to ask, though, when something like this bubbles up, it does feel very like eats popcorn. Um, but as somebody that has family members out there who maybe I wouldn't want to write op-eds of me, <laughs> like how seriously should we take an op-ed from a family member? I think it is. I think it is serious in the sense that there is frustration from his own within his own family of the kind of uh, immigration policies that we're putting out. You know, just last week we talked about uh, Melania Trump and her family essentially getting special treatment when it comes to chain migration, as the president likes to call it. And then we're now hearing about Stephen Miller and his own family going through a similar process, but still being, uh, you know, pretty hypocritical in their approach. So I think it's it's serious in the sense that it shows more hypocrisy uh, within this administration when it comes to immigration. But again, I, you know, it's it's I doubt that Stephen Miller is going to change his mind based on what his uncle wrote in Politico. Absolutely. All right. Well, Tarini, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks, Tarini. Thanks, guys. Uh, listen, Grandma Jones, I know you watch the show. Uh, if you have any stories about Saeed, oh, if you want to write an op-ed about Saeed Jones, <laughs> Grandma Jones, you got. You can just add me. You let me know. Uh, Hashtag fit. AM to DM. You are being very bold out here considering how much recording I have on you, oh, sir. Wow, okay, that is my, absolutely Grandma, true. do not do anything, Isaac. Just, my, my grandma does watch the show. She does. Quite a bit. Uh, she wants to text me every time I'm on vacation. She's like, why are you not on the show today? <laughs> I'm on vacation, Grandma. I am not back. Um, listen, people, people missed you, man. People, Even Jay the cameraman was missing. And I miss you, Jay. I miss my boo. Okay, well, we all have bones to pick with family members and co-workers. Uh, is there a relative you would like to publicly pop off at? 
let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. Send a pitch to Politico, I guess. <laughs> AM to snitch on your family. <laughs> snitch on your, any, any family members? Absolutely <laughs> not. Love my family. Think you guys are all doing a great job. What about you? Uh, no, no, absolutely not. Um, I did, there's some lovely tweets celebrating your book. I'm happy Isaac getting an essay collection published Monday from Monique Lapon. Some lovely tweets. Thank you very much for leaning into the joy. But seriously, let us know if you want to snitch on your family. Up next, Saeed and I will be burning it down with fire tweets. That's true. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> when I'm dancing and I can feel Isaac out the corner of my eyes. <laughs> it's just a whole lot. Okay, welcome back. Fire tweets. Uh, here's one from Tanya. Uh, I'm now rooting for Omarosa, which is another low 45 has forced me to. I gotta say, yeah, uh, Omarosa's terrible. They're terrible. They're all perfect for each other, which makes them terrible for me. Like, I don't, I'm mm, not, mm. I'm not like enjoying any of this. Right, no, absolutely not. Does that make not. sense? I don't know. Of course. And Sometimes it's a- the palace intrigue, I am a little like popcorn, but this, I'm just like. <sighs> and stakes are high. But enough politics. Let's do fire tweets for a second. Here Burn we it go. Down. Burn it down. <laughs> Brandy Jensen, you tweeted, some people just can't be believably cast in a period piece. Like, sorry, Jessica Biel, you have a face that knows about text messaging. No. <laughs> a face that knows about text <laughs> messaging. Funny. That's the realest tweet. <laughs> I, it's something I've never thought. And then the second I read it, I was like, oh yeah. And I have to challenge you. I would okay. love your opinions on this, y'all. Mm. Because I looked at some pictures and I was like, I don't know. I could see her like kind of hair pulled back. What is it? Is it the, the cheekbones? That face knows about emojis. <laughs> that face has been through the 1990s. There's no way it hasn't. I really, oh, okay. I don't know. You can't explain I understand it. what you're trying to you say. You just see it. something okay. and it's so right. All it's right. so right. It's like, I don't know, Jessica Bell. She's like, <laughs> white people, they've been around for a while. I guess I can see it. All right, here's another one. Comes from Old Tom. White guy seeing a coworker for the first time that day. There he is. <laughs> now, did I say that right? Yeah, yeah, okay. you, you got There he is. <laughs> What's up, buddy? How was the weekend? Uh, there he now, is. Now, I'll admit, I don't know if I've heard you say that, but I can absolutely imagine you saying One of our producers, when she saw this tweet, was like, there's just a guy spying on Isaac and writing white guy tweets. <laughs> there's many. Many Toms out there. All right, let's do it. (laughs) Al Shipley, you tweeted, when I successfully persuaded my toddler to brush his teeth, I said, we stand a minty legend because Twitter has destroyed my brain. Yeah. And the tweet, he a way to get the kid excited about. He followed up with a picture of his kid brushing his teeth. It was really I good. love he, it. He looked like a minty legend. Oh, really? Yeah, we stand. We, we stand. stand. <laughs> Listen, dental hygiene is important. Okay, this comes from Lux Posh. Mm. Oh, I see which. Okay, I got it. Asking your white friends if they have lotion is always suspenseful. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't even get it out. Ooh, it's true, you got lotion? Listen, you know I do, but why do I have lotion? Because I've shamed you. No, why do I have lotion? Wait, why do you have lotion? Because I live with Alice Sola Kim. Oh, she loves lotion. Yeah, she That's does skincare to the nines. That's true. I'm That's saved true. by her, not by me at all. All right, you ready to do this tweet of the day? Okay, let's do it. Tweet of the day comes from Chris Melberger, and it was so long it broke our tweet of the day graphic, but we had to read it, so here we go. Coffee shop. Me, hi, can I get some tea? Barista, sure. Chai, me, no. Barista, green, me, no. Barista, 
Our manager is fucking our stock boy, and her husband has no idea. Me, thank you. That is some tea. Mm. Ooh, I love when somebody writes a little play. Her. Writes a yeah. little play on Twitter. Mm. Ooh, the stock boy. I like your scandal. I, I just know that you like job relations. So <laughs> let's get out of here. Don't do it, bitch. Don't do it. Don't fuck the stock boy. Anyway, coming up. Uh, author Jenny Han <laughs> and star G. All of the boys I've loved before. Lana Condor is here. But up next, it's still a good morning, honey. Uh, we got some more Twitter. Oh my God. God. We are ridiculous. We're just, I missed him. Yeah, it's good to see him again, you know? <laughs> Good morning, Twitter, or as Isaac likes to say, hey, buddy. Okay. Uh, here's one reason why it's still a good morning. Our next guest, Blake Montgomery, tweeted this. A year marked by embarrassment after embarrassment for white nationalists culminated in Jason Kessler rambling to a handful of supporters as thousands shouted him down. Well, amen. Amen. BuzzFeed News reporter Blake Montgomery joins us now. Blake, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Love your shirt, man. Yeah. Uh, listen, you were at the rally in D.C. yesterday. What stood out most to you? So the biggest thing was the crowd size. So Jason Kessler, the organizer of the rally, had no more than 20 people on his side. And then the counter protesters were there in the thousands. They were outnumbering the white nationalists, like at least 50 to 1. Now, um, I have to admit, Blake, I, I get very nervous uh, when I read people beginning to say, like, the white nationalists, like, they're losing steam, you know, like, trying to treat them as a joke, because, of course, we know white supremacy is not a joke. Um, but, but, but why, based on your reporting, do, do, what, what are you noticing in the contrast a year after Charlottesville? So the white nationalists lost the battle for public perception in Charlottesville, and they've had a bunch of humiliating defeats ever since. Um, their highest profile members got banned from these huge tech platforms, importantly like financial ones. They can't raise any money through the internet anymore. And a lot of white nationalists after Charlottesville last year lost their jobs. And they don't wanna show their faces at these kind of things anymore. So they, a lot of the people yesterday were covering their faces, even at this huge public rally. And Ever, every time they've tried to jump off the internet into the IRL world in the past year, it's been kind of a disaster. It's been sort of a disaster for them. Um, you know what, shame, it works. Uh, Blake, I do wanna ask you though, what did the protesters themselves have to say about the turnout numbers? Mm. A lot of them were saying like, I can't believe this is still happening. Why did he put us through this a year later? Um, a lot of them made jokes about Kessler's turnout because they could see that there were only a handful of white nationalists across the way. Um, a lot of them, a lot of the protesters were also pretty upset that the police were separating the two sides so rigidly. Um, they did that, they said, to head off any confrontation, but a lot of people saw that as protecting the white supremacists. Okay, and I do want to back up for a second there. So you're saying the Unite the Right protesters themselves were frustrated with Kessler? They're frustrated with Kessler. The counter-protesters were frustrated with police. Okay. A lot of people on the white nationalist side see Kessler as kind of a joke. Oh, interesting. And, and what can you tell us about the counter-protesters? Uh, were they happy with how it turned out? All the many thousands of them. Yeah, there are many, many of them. I mean, like Charlottesville last year, there is a huge swath of them. The, the white nationalists are all pretty much similar, and the counter-protesters are like far leftist, pastors, regular Democratic voters. 
Um, a lot of them were happy that they, I mean, if you look at like aerial photographs of what was going on, you see that they won the day basically. And I think they were pleased. All right. And then, and then I tweeted, I retweeted something that was on your timeline. It was like um, Antifa. Did I say this right? Antifa on mm-hmm. one side, and then there was like a queer dance party on the other side, like yeah. a meeting. So it, it sounds like also the counter protesters had a fun day yesterday in a way. Yeah, some of them. I mean, it was also raining, which was is never fun to kind of stand and just be wet. Yeah. And so I think there was fun at the beginning, and then everyone kind of went home and there was no riot. Went about their lives. All right. Well, love your shirt, as always. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Blake. Thanks, guys. And before we move on, I did want to, on the timeline, mention Tanya tweeted, outnumbering them IRL is fun, but I would like to outnumber white nationalists and the white enablers who quietly love them in the voting booth, please. Are you all registered for the midterms? Oh, wow. Shout out, Tanya. All right, well, listen, Melissa McEwen, you tweeted, in a room set aside for kid hackers, an 11-year-old girl hacked a replica of the Florida Secretary of State's website within 10 minutes and changed the results. Within 10 minutes. Okay, I'm proud of this young woman. (laughs) I'm scared scared of her. Uh, That (laughs) quote comes from a new piece by BuzzFeed News cybersecurity correspondent Kevin Collier, who tweeted this, my report from the DEF CON voting village. Now that voting machine hackers finally have the world's attention, they have to balance forcing the equipment makers to fix flaws without telling the world their vote won't count. Yeah, difficult. Kevin joins us now. Good morning. Morning. So listen, Kevin, what is DEF CON and what is the DEF CON voting village? Sounds scary. Yeah, <laughs> it's the world's biggest annual hacker conference. It's been around for, this is 26 years, just wrapped up. Uh, and since last year, they started what they call the voting village, where they take decommissioned voting machines, uh, some of which are still in use, and just kind of let hackers go at it. And as you might imagine, they break in pretty quickly, pretty easily, and find all kinds of new vulnerabilities. Which is just just great, just great, as we talk about people registering to vote for midterms. Um, tell us about Audrey. Uh, clearly, you know, shout out to her, 11 years old. Um, how did she hack this, this election? So the kids were given instructions, hey, here's a replica of a Secretary of State's website, um, and use what's called a, a my, or called a SQL injection, which is a fairly common entry-level basic tool in a hacker's toolkit to change uh, the, a replica of the Secretary of State's uh, website. And yeah, it took her about 10 minutes. Uh, and she made, I forget the guy's name, but the made it appear as if the libertarian candidate for the 2016 election actually won Florida. Oh, wow. Yeah. it's I'm, A lot of other people did, like, you know, made Kim Jong-un win the election, things like cool, that. Cool, cool, cool. So what did the uh, Secretary of State of Florida, uh, what did their office have to say about all this? Uh, they weren't terribly happy. Uh, they wanted to stress, and this is fair, uh, that this is, if this were to happen in real life, it would change the appearance of the vote, not the vote itself. Uh, though it's important to note that this is a tactic that Russia has used in Ukraine, changing the appearance of a vote to cause disarray on election day. Hmm. Also, I was going to like, like, listen, I remember the 2000 election results. Florida, don't get cocky, y'all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what are some of the possible solutions, though, that the hackers, because this, this dynamic that they have to do, kind of alerting people to the problem, but also not kind of dis- like making us feel disenchanted with the entire concept. How are they doing that? Well, pretty much the the universal uh, advice for how to largely fix the problem is, A, have every voting machine in America have a a paper ballot or a paper, you know, some sort of physical evidence of what your vote was, and then have uh, statistically significant audits after every election. 
And a lot of voting machines in the U.S. do, but not all. There's a couple bills um, floating around in the Senate that would address this, but they've not gotten much movement. All right. Well, uh, I'm concerned. Uh, <laughs> Kevin, thanks for joining us. I guess we're going to have to have you on a lot more in the um, coming months. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So exciting. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Kevin. Well, listen, Saeed, did you uh, watch Insecure last night? You know I did. And that show comes on at 10.30 p.m. on a Sunday. Did you? <laughs> you, you sure didn't. Uh, and we weren't the only ones bothered by Insecure's time slot. Nikki, you tweeted, can we petition for Insecure to come on earlier? I'm old. Yeah, I, listen. 10.34 dramedy? Mm. That's late, y'all. It is. Even if we <laughs> didn't have a morning show, yeah. I feel like watching HBO at 10.30 p.m. can be yeah, like, pretty when late. When does Game of Thrones come on? It doesn't come on that late, does I, it? I mean, that would I would have to fact check How it. How do you come on sure. wrong Game of Thrones time? Because it's the same Issa drama, Game of Thrones drama. It's just neck thing. and neck. You Game know? of Thrones, people really kind of keep buttoned up about it, right? Like, That's people true. try to, like, That's oh, true. no spoilers. Insecure, yeah. like, live tweeting it's very is much part, a part of the experience. So it's really tough. And, I mean, listen, I get into bed at 9 p.m., so I don't know how to, like, keep yeah, up with this show. I don't know, but I, I, I don't even know. Something involving Capri Sun happened last night <laughs> and a Lyft driver. So, I, you know, yeah, it's kind of tricky because I, I, I love it. Insecure is the only show really focused on straight people uh, that I give a damn about. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of their relationship, I don't care who y'all fucking and fall in love with generally, but I, I care about Issa. I care oh, about the girl. Oh, you care so. about Issa. I, well, I appreciate it. This is what <laughs> we want to hear from you. What's your strategy for watching a show, especially one that so many people live tweet if you can't stay up for it? Let us know using the hashtag AM2, I'm in my jam jams by 9 p.m. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you have any strategies? Do you have any? I'm sorry, jam jams? Yeah, man. Really I love my jam jams. Strategies? Um, I mean, I guess I just, it, sometimes I mute hashtags mm -hmm. if I can. People, that's the thing. I think with live tweeting, people use the insecure HBO hashtag, and mm -hmm. so you can kind of steer clear. Also, you have to manage expectations. There are certain things you're going to yeah. get and, you know. Or maybe you just got to be a little tired on a Monday. Not this Monday, though, girl. <laughs> I need my beauty sleep. But I am going to go home this afternoon and I'm going to watch it because uh, I need it. I need it. Um, but also, we're very excited because BuzzFeed News has a new Insecure after show. <laughs> After show, Hella Opinions, hosted by our own queen, Sylvia O'Bell. It comes on tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hella Opinions. I love it. Yeah, that so we got to get home, watch the Instagram That's whole thing. I got my whole Monday laid so out. So that we can watch this premiere. <laughs> Listen, up next, I'll be talking with author Jenny Han and actor Lana Condor. I'm so excited. Mm. I see the timeline that you guys are excited That's to. That's a good name, Lana Condor. I mean, this is a superhero name. It, 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 it is. Badass is what it is. He's Stick around. <laughs> I'm here with novelist Jenny Han and actor Lana Condor, whose new film, <clears throat> To All the Boys I've Loved Before, drops this Friday on Netflix. How you guys doing? So good. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for coming on. I like that you guys are already dancing. Okay, you guys have gotten to kind of know each other pretty well at this yeah. point, right? Yeah. Yep. She's stuck with me. She's, she's stuck. <laughs> you guys are stuck together. Yep. I want to talk a little bit about the film based on the book that you wrote in 2014. Mm -hmm. The premise is a young woman's letters to her crushes mm -hmm. accidentally get sent out. How did you come up with an idea so cruel? Well, I used to write, you know this, right? I used to write love mm -hmm. letters to boys when I was trying to find closure, get out all my angry emotions slash romantic feelings, and then I would put it in an envelope, seal it, and then put it in a hat box. Okay. And then put it under the bed. But then hers actually get sent out. So that's like yeah. the difference between our stories. It gets discovered. Do you have any 
like high school, middle school, elementary school crushes that you like tapped into to do this movie? Mm. And I want you to name names. You want you want last names? Yes. Yes. Where do they <laughs> where are they now? <laughs> where are they now? Social media handle. Um, you know what's so funny is like I've I've had so many crushes in my lifetime. So uh, and then I and then I had a crush on Noah who plays my co-star, right? So it was it was actually very easy to <laughs> play this mm, you hear it here first. <laughs> so it was really easy to um I didn't really have to like dive into my past like crushes because I, of course, I love Noah. But um, you're like yeah. Isaac. I got enough crushes. I was like, now I was I like, have there's enough on this set that it's fine. <laughs> I <laughs> love this, Jenny. What about you? Were there any like crushes that kind of helped mm. inspire the book? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, you gotta give us something. Yeah, last names. I mean, no, they're they know who they are. Wait, some of them know, some of them don't. You know, it's the right point, on. the secret. It's the secret. It's the secret. Yeah. And that's the whole crux of it, that this secret kind of gets out. Yeah. What was it like adapting the book to film? Lana, did you get a chance to read the book? Of course, yeah. yeah. I read the book as soon as I got the audition. I ran to the store and, and speed read it and then read it again and again throughout the whole audition process. And, you know, I think we did a really good job on translating it into film. There's certain things that just don't work, like from, obviously, from books to screen, but I, I think we did a pretty good job to stay fairly accurate, yeah. That's awesome, and, and what about you? Did you feel like you had a hand in it? I felt like going into it, I was like, books and movies are two different art forms. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my understanding was, this is like, gonna be someone else's interpretation of a thing that I already did, which I'm fine with. Mm -hmm. All I cared about throughout was saying that like I wanted to be like the spokesperson for the fans of the books and wanting I'm like I know what they like about it I know what they really want to see so can we give them what they want mm -hmm. you and know? do you feel like you, so you saw yourself almost as an ambassador for the fans Absolutely. of the book and yeah. di and did you feel that did you feel like you you, you pulled it off I mean I think so yeah. I think the spirit of the book is there yes so it's not not like it's necessarily a beat for beat interpretation but I think the spirit is there and like for me being on set. With, it was really helpful. Yeah, and then also seeing the like chemistry between Lana and Noah and all the girls, and it really felt like a family to me. Mm. And that was, to me, the book. Yes. That's awesome. What made you feel like Netflix was kind of the right place to tell this story? I mean, I think that the fact that I have a lot of readers from around the world, mm -hmm. um, like Brazil, mm -hmm. um, Philippines, and for them to be able to see it guaranteed on the same day, mm -hmm. I love that. And I also think that you know, people, especially young people, like to watch from home and they like to watch from their screens. And so I think you kind of have to meet people where they are. Mm. And to me, that people are. Absolutely. Are, are there. And are you, do you find yourself interacting with the fans as well? Like, are you already, like, it's, it hasn't come out until Friday, but are you already deep in it? Yeah, you know, J Jenny's fans are so loving. And the so fans loving. of the book are actually truly the, the kindest people in the world. So I've been very fortunate because they've kind of crossed over. I'm stealing, <laughs> but they've kind of crossed over. And I and they're so kind. And so I, I love responding to them. And I, I, I meet some people like on the street. Sometimes they'll come up and be like, oh really? my gosh, yeah. And they're very excited. So I, we, I mean, your fans are amazing. They so. even come to my signings and bring me baked goods. Yes. I, I mean, that's that. how they're Committed. You want to give a little wave, a little wave to the fans, all the fans watching right Hi. now? I absolutely love it. Uh, there's also been a lot of discussion around representation, mm -hmm. especially Asian representation in film. Lana, what does it mean to you? How does it feel to represent Laura Jean? It's a dream come true. I never thought I was going to be in this position for m multiple reasons, but one of them is just 
I don't often get offers for to be the lead in a rom-com. So mm -hmm. it's been amazing and something that's been the most eye-opening experience is having younger girls and older women come up to me and say like, thank you for representing my childhood and, and, and putting a face that I can relate to on camera, which is so important. Mm. And so I, I do think that we're making steps in the industry in terms of representation and they're baby steps, but hopefully this film helps with that a little because people aren't dumb anymore. Like they want to see the real world, so. And they yeah. want to be reflected in it. What would it mean for you, Jenny, and, I, and, and for you uh, to have had this film when you were a teenager, when you were growing up? I mean, I never saw an Asian American girl be the lead of a teen movie. Mm -hmm. I never, I never had that experience. And so for me, like even, it's not even like what would it have been for me. I think what it is for me as an adult woman to see it. Yeah. It's like, it is really meaningful. And mm -hmm. I think with this and, you know, I think with Searching, which you guys had John Cho mm. on here, mm -hmm. um, and with Crazy Rich Asians, a lot of stuff is happening. And I just hope that like, you know, no one story is gonna represent everybody. So I hope that it just means that we'll get more, you know, and just kind of expand yeah. um, for more opportunities all around. You wanna make sure it's not just this checklist of, okay, we got yeah. that one, and then we can move along. Because we've had a great summer for representation, but I, I'm hoping that it's not just this summer. I hope it keeps going into fall and winter and spring and stuff like that, so. Amen, amen, amen. Yeah. Funny you should bring up John Cho. John Cho, who shout out Jenny Han on the show. I think we have a clip. <gasps> what? Can we bring it up? Could we bring it up? Han, Jenny Han, Jenny Han, Jenny Han. Yeah, he, he, and that's exactly how it went down. He said Jenny Han's name about seven times. <laughs> right on, no, right on. No, we, we put it on a loop. But uh, what, if you could just speak a little bit, who are, who are the writers, actors, uh, other Asians that are really influencing your work these days that you feel really inspired by? I, who, for you? Everyone from Crazy Rich Asians. I'm so in love with the whole cast. Um, who else? John. Um, Sandra O. Oh. Sandra O. Oh, of course. Um, Kumail. I feel like there's, Kumail. there is like, yeah, Hayden, Hayden Sido, yeah. he's one of my good friends. Love him, very inspired by him. Uh, I, I love it. And what about you, Jenny? John? <laughs> <laughs> Do you, can you say John Cho so we can put that on loop, Hi. too? John Cho? <laughs> <laughs> and he'll be I, excited that, you get, that he shot you. I mean, I don't know about that. And but what about books? What, like, what are you reading? I am just going to finally start reading Pachinko, which I had not mm, read yet. And I'm really yes. excited about the fact that it's being adapted mm -hmm. um, for a TV series. Um, that's like next on my list. I actually, when I'm working, it's really hard for me to um, dive into a narrative. And other fiction. people's work. Yeah, just because then I get so immersed that it's hard to like come back. So now that this is kind of coming out, it's coming to fruition, you have time. Let me tell you, it's a great book. You're gonna absolutely Amen. love it. Listen, everyone, Jenny, Lana, thank you so much for being on the show. To all the boys I've loved before is absolutely fantastic and you'll get a chance to watch it on Netflix this Friday, August 17th. We've got more AM to DM in just a moment. Guys, thank you so much. That was Thank wonderful. you. Oh, and Jenna Gillamay tweeted, I watched every episode of Insatiable and it was a fat shaming mess. I have not been so uncomfortable and upset watching a show in a very long time. <laughs> well, <laughs> Sonia Soraya, TV critic for Vanity Fair, is here to talk about 
how bad the reviews for Netflix's new show really are. Hi, Sonia. <laughs> that, yeah, that was not a very good review. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I think a lot of the reviews of Insatiable are, I watched 12 hours of this and I don't know what to do with my life now. So <laughs> I think that that falls in line. Um, yeah, definitely. So, okay, so for those of us who were not on Twitter and seeing all of this drama around this show, mm -hmm. what is the show about? Okay, so Insatiable is about a uh, high school teenager who, uh, her nickname is Fatty Patty. Uh, she's overweight, and then she gets punched in the jaw um, because someone, she gets into a fight with someone who's trying to steal her candy bar, and then her jaw gets wired shut, and then she turns into a hot girl. And then everything that follows from there is like the revenge fantasy of her life. Um, and there's a lot of stuff, you know, she like kind of, she gets involved with the church for a little while. She's like in small town Georgia, so she gets involved with the church for a while. Her pastor is Michael Ian Black. They think that she has a demon and they try to exercise her. She also tries to be a pageant queen. She also like does a lot of dating, um, a couple of first time encounters. Uh, there's a bikini dog wash. Um, if this sounds like a mess, it, it like doesn't really have a very coherent plot, but like she has some adventures basically. You said in your review that the show is dreadfully unappetizing. <laughs> nice little, is that a pun? Nice, I nice guess little, so. Nice yeah. little quip. Nice little quip. <laughs> Thank you. Thank what you. What makes this show so bad? I mean, you kind of already said it doesn't make a lot of sense from a, a structural perspective, mm -hmm. but what about from a... I guess, sensitivity perspective. Right, right. I mean, and, and you're right to point out those two things being different because those are, like, there's, like, a plotting problem with the show and a sort of pacing problem with it. But then really, like, in terms of sensitivity to these issues that can be very intense for people, the show wants to, um, and, I, and I do think they're well-intentioned for what it's worth, and the creator, Lauren Guss, has talked about it, um, about her own experiences with this. But, you know, it's talking about body shaming, it's talking about homophobia, talking about bullying, talking about things like even worse sometimes, like, you know, like anal sex and um, uh, st statutory rape of minors. And it wants to be very like flippant about it and sometimes even like kind of exploiting its characters in a way that's like, oh, like they're in on the joke, like they sort of get how funny it is too. But like if you were watching it and you identified with those characters, you might not really know how the show felt about you. And I think that's, I think that's where like a lot of the problem comes from. It's really the tone, uh, excuse me. There's a lot of making light of things that are actually quite serious. When I was reading the reviews on Twitter this weekend, some people are into the show, mm -hmm. and one of the things that's pretty consistent, no matter if they liked it or they hated it, was they were just kind of like, what mm -hmm. the fuck? Mm -hmm. um, it's a ride. So what are some <laughs> of the most bizarre moments okay. from the show? Because okay. I'm very curious. I mean, I mentioned the bikini dog wash, um, which is a where the girls uh, raise money for an eating disorder charity, wearing bikinis and then washing dogs. But then it is sabotaged by a rival pageant contestant. Bear with me. She sprays bacon grease on the girls. The dogs go crazy. And then the local LGBTQ community has to step in and save the dog wash. I, I don't know. Um, and then mid-season, and this is kind of funny because I think that it kind of takes on a Stranger Things bent. Um, it turns out that Patty has um, a mass in her uterus and the pastor and her boyfriend, who's the pastor's son, decide that this is a demon. Uh, her twin sister is haunting her and she needs to be exorcised. Eventually, John Lovitz comes in to like help with the exorcism. I mean, there's a way in which everything is so bonkers that you're like, what is this show gonna do next? But you're like a little scared more than having fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's never, that's never good though, right? You, never should, you should always be having fun with the 
can't be a show. <laughs> so one of our BuzzFeed News reporters, Christy Andoli, spoke with the creator of the show who defended the show mm -hmm. um, and basically said, like you said, it's satire. It's meant to be a take on all of these issues. What are some other ways that you've seen the show's stars and creators uh, defend it? Well, I mean, Alyssa Milano, who's one of the stars of the show, I mean, uh, you know, has talked a lot about how she has her own body image issues and what she hopes is that by like addressing them and talking about them, it helps the audience. I mean, it's very well intentioned, you know, and I uh, I can totally see, you know, I think uh, Dallas Roberts, who plays uh, Bob, the pageant character who like sort of starts in the closet and then kind of isn't in the closet by the end, has played a gay character in the past and very sensitively. Um, I think that they care. I think it really comes down to like just exactly the very specifics of the tone and how people are taking it. I mean, if it works for people, it works for people. You know, that's great too. But I think like a lot of early viewers felt that it was just not working. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the creator has said that she, you know, experienced bullying for her own size when she was younger. Yeah. You know, and I think that that could be done in a really interesting way. You oh, know, absolutely. like. Fat, fat girl makes good or whatever, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. But I just feel like this isn't really it for people. It's, I mean, it's not. A lot of fans of this earlier British show called My Mad Fat Diary have talked about how different the two shows approach similar issues with like a teenage girl who has weight issues um, or like, you know, body acceptance issues. Um, and, uh, Again, I think it really boils down to tone and to sensitivity and to like how much interiority her struggle is given as opposed to, you know, there's something about um, there's something about Insatiable that really it feels kind of like it hates the main character for what she hungers for. I mean, I and in a way, in a way, like it makes for an interesting story, but it's so sad, too. It's like, why would this show be so mean to its lead character by by showing, uh, describing her hunger as this evil thing that consumes everyone around her. That sucks. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, and that's really not the message, you know, I think, uh, that <laughs> we should be doing, you know. <laughs> um, I think that maybe a show that could work better would be something that realizes that everyone comes in different shapes and maybe someone accepting themselves the way that they are. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we all struggle, struggle with body image issues, so. Absolutely. I mean, and there's a way in which it becomes frustrating. You know, Debbie Ryan, who's the main character, is like really like quite thin. I mean, she fits into the Hollywood beauty standard. So it's weird to hear her talk about this if she were a fat suit for the flashback issues. And it's like, well, is this, this is, can't, where's the actual representation then if yeah. you're, right? I mean, it's a for little sure. well-intentioned, but the execution is just off in various ways. All right, Sonia. Well, I'm not sure if I'm going to watch it, <laughs> but I really appreciate Don't. you coming on and talking to me about it. More AMCDM is up next. Kian tweeted, Mercury and Mars are in retrograde, holla at me in September. Okay, I'll admit, I know little to nothing about what it means that these planets are in retrograde. I'm totally clueless. But fortunately for me and the astrology buffs out there, Sarah Coughlin from Refinery29 is here to educate me all about this. Hey, Sarah. Hey. How's it going? Okay, so for a noob like me, what exactly does it mean when Mars is in retrograde? Right, so we know that Mercury's like the go-to boogeyman of the astrology world when it goes retrograde. When Mars goes retrograde, um, you know, first of all, this happens like way less often, about every two years. So it's kind of a bigger deal when it goes retrograde. And in the same way that Mercury is like 
the messenger planet, the planet that messes with like our group texts and our passwords. Mars messes with our temper. It's the planet of war and aggression. And so if we feel like we're getting kind of tense, that's Mars retrograde. If we feel like things aren't going our way, that's Mars retrograde. Okay, so this is happening right now, correct? Yes. And so you published an article that said the last week of Mars in retrograde might be the hardest. So when is that and what is going to happen to us? <laughs> we are officially in the final week of Mars retrograde. Oh no. Yes, it ends on the 27th. And this isn't how Mars retrogrades normally work. This is sort of a special case because Mars has moved from Aquarius back into Capricorn, which is kind of like a hard-headed, tough guy sign. It's associated with like ambition and it loves success and progress. So Mars retrograde is like hitting the slow-mo button on all of those things. So Capricorn with Mars and retrograde hanging out in it isn't super happy. So we might be extra frustrated at work, especially we might have like problems with our finances, like those kinds of like success related issues are going to come to the forefront this week, potentially. Yeah, that doesn't sound super fun. Dancing Heart tweeted, y'all experiencing bad things because it's retrograde, but I'm chilling because I'm the maker of my own reality. I don't really love hearing this because my birthday is on the 25th. So that means I'm going to have all these bad juju on my birthday. So please tell me, how much does this actually affect our day to day lives? Or can I like explain? sponge the Mars or whatever <laughs> from my birthday. <laughs> right, so I mean, I would never tell anybody to do something or not do something because of a planet, you know? I moved apartments during Mercury retrograde. These things can be done. You can still live a normal life. But if you do find that you're feeling kind of off, feeling like tempted to get into it with a coworker or a roommate, you know, like hit pause on that and wait until next week. Maybe cooler heads will prevail. Maybe you'll find a solution. Just, you know, take everything slower than you normally would this week. Okay, so what are, are there any benefits to Mars being in retrograde or is it only bad? Yeah, so in the same way that that slowdown effect can be super frustrating, you know, you have more time in a sense to, you know, review details of a project. If you aren't like making huge steps toward finishing it, you can go back and revise and rehash. And, you know, this is a chance to sort of learn patience also, which is very, very hard for many of us, especially a Capricorn like me. <laughs> I'm feeling like I'm in the spotlight today. Um, but, you know, Every retrograde is a learning opportunity if you're an optimist. Okay, so I'm just gonna be zen and I'm gonna put all, all these bad thoughts and I'm gonna celebrate my birthday and hopefully everything will go well. Yes. And I guess if I am mean to everyone, it's my birthday, I can do it, right? Yeah, and just blame Mars. Exactly, yeah. that's what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna blame Mars. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today yeah. and educating me. And we wanna hear from you. Have you been educated, affected, sorry, by Mars in retrograde? Let us know using the hashtag AM2DM and up next, Isaac and Saeed are responding to your tweets. Welcome back. Uh, Mars in retrograde, Has, uh, have you felt it? Are I don't know, I was a little it? distracted during that segment, but because I, I broke my phone during the break. Really? <laughs> Were you I being aggressive with it? I dropped it, I don't, I guess. I don't know, uh, you could blame Mars. I really dropped it though. Listen, astrology, it's fun, right? It's a fun thing to talk I about. Like it. It's e I read it. I'm probably the one person who got like more into it when I moved from the West Coast to the East Coast. <laughs> like I became more of a hippie <laughs> when I moved. Yeah. You know why I, you know what I, cause I see some people like astrology is, you know why I think astrology is helpful is because I find that it's a way it's an unexpected way to get people to talk about their personalities, mm. their wants, their, their concerns, their touch points that 
in a way that they may not be so into. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know, I like just stand, someone's almost like, what are you really ambitious about? Like people, you know, I stand you know, an emotional crush. I <laughs> right. stand. It's, a, a, it's a way to get. Dare it. I say it? It's helpful for a lot of men to talk yeah. about feelings. Absolutely. So. But listen, I was all about Mercury in retrograde, but now I got to keep an eye on Mars too. I got these planets. Learn about the planets. They're shifty. <laughs> anyway, we asked you to spill some tea on your relatives. I don't know if anyone did. Let's see, uh, Gregorio da Vinci. This is look, look. Why would I share that on the internet? That's some serious tea. Fam. I don't know if anyone. That's a very good y'all point. Y'all smart. Y'all watch AM to DM. You smart. <laughs> you know that's family business. Seriously, when you were uh-huh. gone, Chantal uh, on Wednesday, she was saying, "Stay in your lane." That was like her theme. Stay the in lane. your lane. Mind your business. Mind your business. Olivia Nope also isn't giving <laughs> up the goods on any family feuds, but did have this to say: "My extended family is huge." So there are many to choose from, mm, like a little taste. We should ask them to like DM the AM to DM account or there something. There it is. <laughs> no, because then they Some know anonymous. Just... Listen, those your your dear ferocity questions mm. in my DMs are. Mm. Woo. Uh, well, we also asked you <laughs> <laughs> for how you're dealing with shows that air really late, 10:30 p.m. Eastern. It's really late. Insecure. Help us, Julia. You had this to say: I've given up and just accept that I'm gonna be spoiled and binge once I've got a good backlog. I'm just so tired. There is a lot. Of TV out there. So that is actually my approach. Yeah. I wait years. <laughs> and then I go back and by the It's like I love Lucy, season one. <laughs> I'm just saying you forget about the spoilers you learned about if you wait yeah. like a couple years. And then it's all there for you to watch in like mm-hmm. one terrible self-destructive sitting. I would also <laughs> I would also argue that if a show can be ruined by a spoiler. That, that's a flaw in the writing of the show. This is some Mars and Mercury retrograde stuff because I don't want to have this fight with you <laughs> don't right do now. It, don't do Listen, it, don't do I'm it. just, Mia had what I think are well wishes, of, what I think are well wishes about my book. <laughs> I hope the cover of Isaac's book is his dirtbag Mary that's Poppins true. photo. That would be a good, thank you very much. Just me on a skateboard. Yeah, or at least your author photo. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Okay, okay, let's slow it down. Anyway, look, look, he's, now that he knows about Mars retrograde, Isaac is just like a buddy. (laughs) Hey, buddy. Ready to go, rockers? Okay. Uh, Thank you to our guest, Jenny Han. Lana, love you. I love you. Our guest, Lana Condor, Sharini Party, Blake Montgomery, Kevin Collier, Stephanie McNeil, Sonia Soraya, and Sarah Coughlin. Look at us. We will see you tomorrow. (laughs) We'll be back here at 10 a.m. It's good to be back, y'all. Have a good week. (laughs) 